Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 94. We've got a great interview today with a woodworker who went from the verge of homelessness to having a thriving custom furniture business. And Donnie Galley runs Designs by Donnie out of Destin, Florida, and he's found a niche in building huge over-the-top pieces. And he's differentiated himself in a saturated market, and he's figured out how to go the extra mile to delight his customers. Donnie dives into his journey over the last five years in business and how he's applied skills from his previous jobs to help him become a successful woodworker. With his Instagram recently eclipsing 60,000 followers, Donnie talks about how he uses the platform to his advantage as a custom builder and how to showcase his work to his new clients and the clients he's working with currently. And John and I are actually going to be traveling next week, so we are not going to have the chance to thank the MFP Patron Tribe members who joined this week, but we will hit you guys on the next episode. So without further ado, here's our interview with Donnie Galley from Designs by Donnie. All right, guys, welcome to the show. We are so stoked to have uh, one of our new buddies who we just met in person down at WorkbenchCon. We've got Donnie Galley from Designs by Donnie. Donnie, welcome to Made for Profit, man. What's up, guys? Uh, man, dude, we are, we're excited to have you on here uh, and to talk about all the amazing stuff you're doing because, dude, you're you're crushing it out there. I know that your, your work is inspiring tons of people and we can't wait to hear, you know, about how you started it and how you got to, to where you are, man. Thanks, man. I'm excited to be on with you guys. It's about time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Before the show, Donnie was like, it took 94 episodes for you to get me on here. We're like, you know, we, we had to meet him in person. Yeah. It, right? Once we met him in person, Donnie's got a heart of gold and uh, the, the tongue of silver. And so we were like, all right, we're, we're bringing him in. We're bringing him in. So, so Donnie, for those folks who might not know you, who might uh, not be following you on Instagram, why don't you just uh, tell us about your business, about yourself and uh, what you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first off, it's just uh, it's just me. I'm a one man show. Uh, contrary to what everyone thinks, everyone thinks I'm got a bunch of minions in here popping stuff out. But uh, it's just me. I, I started the business. Um, I think we're coming up on five years now. So five years nice. in business. Um, Very good. And uh, I'm just doing uh, custom custom made projects. Uh, I don't build anything and sell it unless it's pretty much like a cutting board or something small. But other than that, all projects are commissioned. Nice. And and so you, t- <laughs> it's funny you mentioned, you know, unless you sell something small. So kind of what you're known for in the Instagram world is these uh, massive builds, right? We were just uh, looking at your 11 foot tall, you know, media console and these, these things like, you know, walk us through like how, so you five years in the business, did you like, you started day one and you're like, I just want to build the biggest thing I can possibly build. Or like, you know, how, walk us through the the origin story of, of designs by Donnie and, and how you got started. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, before I dive into, uh, kind of how I stumbled into woodworking and, and finding this passion, you know, at a, at a later age and a later date in life, 
Um, but I'm, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy and a research guy. So I, when I arrived at the idea that I wanted to start doing woodworking, uh, for a living, uh, I got online, I, I got on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and I started researching a lot of products, what people were putting out, you know, dining tables, styles, etc. Um, and one of the things that I noticed right off the bat in my research was nobody was doing anything large. Now there was occasionally like a, a built-in for like a media cabinet in somebody's house, but they literally built it in. They didn't build it in the shop and take it. And uh, other than that, I wasn't seeing anything on a grand scale. The only thing I had to go off of that was big, uh, in my opinion at the time, was restoration uh, hardware. You know, that was the only mm-hmm. thing I could see out there that was uh, big. So initially, my very first thought was, you know what, I'm I'm going to build stuff for giants, and I'm going to go bigger <laughs> than RH. Uh, I'm going to make their stuff look like toothpicks. That was my goal. Um, and then my, my, my second train of thought was, uh, what are these styles that are out there? I saw a lot of straight cuts, uh, dimensional, uh, you know, type of stuff. I wasn't seeing anything contoured or curved. And I was like, okay, so right off the jump, let me just stop right there. I'm going huge and I'm going everything contoured. Everything's curved. I want to introduce some concepts I'm not seeing out there. Um, and that pretty much uh, got me in the direction that I'm at to that I, that I've arrived at today uh, with styles and size. Um, but as far as uh, falling into this business, I, I mean, I literally fell into it. I um, so we're coming up on like five years that I've been in business, um, and I, I got into it. I was a property manager before this, so I was just clocking sixty hours a week, sitting at a desk in an office, and pretty much losing my mind. Um, but I had gotten laid off, uh, during the holidays. So I, I think it was, um, I want to say around Thanksgiving time. Uh, so I immediately went into panic mode. Um, and for Thanksgiving time, that's the off season where I'm at. I, I live at the beach. Um, so everything's geared toward tourists and that's the off season. So the off season, believe it or not, is when no one hires for anything. They literally wait till spring, uh, for season to start before they start loading down with, uh, you know, say waiters, uh, sir, anything service industry, um, anything property management mm-hmm. wise. Um, so, you know, I put out a, a ton of uh, resumes, ton of applications. Um, you know, long story short, I wasn't uh, getting picked up or hired anywhere. And I'm just like, wow, this is, this is crazy. You know, I, um, I found myself getting in a really dark place really quickly. Um, and in one of those times, uh, talking to my wife and trying to get my spirits up, she had me go in the garage and uh, see what I could just, you know, make, what I could build. And I think just to keep my mind from sinking and getting to a dark place. And um, I went in there and I, my first piece was a, um, a table, a uh, console table. Um, and I was just using what I had in the garage. I had... Uh, I had a circular saw. I had some two by fours from some project. I don't know what, um, but I didn't have any real woodworking furniture making experience. Um, but you know, it all just kind of, you know, came to me. I'm, I'm self-taught. Um, and I got going on it and, you know, I built an amazing, what I thought was an amazing table for a console table. I thought it was dope. Um, and, uh, <laughs> we all do. That's what it's, you know, you're like, yes, look what I yes, made. With that's my exactly own what it was. And, and man, it was, um, man, it was really exciting. It was just, 
Um, you know, that movie Limitless, uh, where the guy just starts seeing everything come breaking down. I, I felt like I was just in exploded view, breaking things down in my mind on how to build it, how to assemble it. And, and it was just a simple table. Don't get me wrong. But, um, uh, long story short, I, I, I made that table. My wife came home from work later that evening and she went crazy over it. And she was like, Oh my gosh, I, I think you have something here. And I was like, like what? And she goes, I, I think we should try to sell this. I was like, oh gosh, there's no way. I was like, there's rooms to go, Ethan Allen. I, I was just naming off all these furniture stores. And I was like, nobody's going to come buy anything from Donnie. You know, what, what do I know about making furniture? And um, anyway, so she listed it on Facebook, I think. Um, yeah, Facebook. And it sold in like 30 minutes. Um but, you know, I didn't even face the, uh, if I remember co- completely correctly, I didn't even face the customer when they got there. Um, cause you gotta remember I was going through kind of a really depressing, dark time. Um, you know, and I couldn't really handle any bad criticism at that moment. You know, I just would have checked out. Um, but they loved it and, you know, and it, and it sold quickly. Um, and I may be slightly exaggerating, but I would say within like six months after that, I was already getting booked up with orders nonstop. Um, but you know how it is with every business you start. Um, you're not really, you don't know anything about profit margins yet and material costs and build times. And, uh, so I really wasn't making money. Now I was selling product, you know, left and right, but between, um, wood warping out on me and rebuilding things and, and not knowing my margins and business stuff. Um, I was really just, turning in circles. Um, so, yes. So, I mean, that's ahead, an interesting, that's an interesting backstory. It's kind of, it's a similar to a lot of us, right? I mean, like I have a, I mean, I wasn't uh, looking for the therapeutic aspect of woodworking when I got into it, but I, it happened out of necessity. I just built something, started putting stuff on Facebook and started taking off for me as well. Um, and, and for me, the one thing that I quickly realized was how I was easily able to um, take facets of my previous life in professional sports and apply it to, uh, the, the business immediately. Right. And for me, that was, you know, work ethic and putting in the hours and then studying film, AKA YouTube as often as possible. And what, what, what kind of experience did you go through there? Cause I always find that, um, to be quite, uh, it gives you this, it gives a lot of perspective, like, right. Like I talked about this at workbench con last year, how you could be in something completely different, fall into furniture making and woodworking kind of thing. And tell how did you feel like your transition from your previous life uh, into that initial aspect of your business was, you know, like what, what type of skills did you find yourself immediately pulling towards compared to um, the ones that you had to work on? Well, right off the bat, I had a lot of business experience, although I didn't know how to apply it to furniture making, you know, there was a big learning curve there, but I knew, uh, you know, get a profit and loss statement, start knowing your numbers. Um, but I was real lazy about it. I I wasn't hitting it hard. I was more so intrigued with the passion and having the fun part of building something. I was totally just forgetting about the business side of it. But I think from my property management and other businesses that I had opened, uh, years ago prior to that, I think I used all that business experience like marketing and advertising and, um, how to reach, customers and clients. I think all that, um, gave me a big jump ahead, uh, when I first started now, yes, I wasn't always turning a profit, but I was getting the sales and I was getting them, the orders lined up. And, um, I kind of just knew exactly what I needed to do. So I think my old jobs and my past, um, 
situations business-wise is really what I brought into it. That it, it transitioned really well, the business side. Um, and how much, how much work do you think went into the actual, like learning the skill set? Cause that's one thing that, uh, you know, when I talk privately to anybody that's trying to get into selling furniture professionally and, and building a business on it is that it is too, it's a two headed monster, right? You have to be working on the business development aspect of it. And whether that's learning from books or learning from seminars or webinars or whatever, as well as the actual skill set that goes into the craft. Um, and I mean, your experience being in business, like how much actual time and effort were you putting into, uh, the shop stuff? Cause I know for me, that was massive. Oh yeah. Massive I think the, the actual shop time workshop time was, um, and I was given that more time than the business side of it. Um, I I'd probably say it was a, the bulk of it. The majority of it was in the shop, which AKA was my home garage at that moment. Um, and you know, I was using the business side of it to bring me the sales, but it was all after hours, um, before I was in the shop, after I was in the shop. Um, so I was spending a good chunk of my day just in the garage trying to figure out how do I build these things? How, how do I make this happen? And, you know, um, I did have some furniture uh, in the garage. I think it was, uh, I want to say rooms to go. I mean, don't quote me on it, but I think it was rooms to go furniture in the garage. And I was like, well, you know, let me see how they built it, you know? So I went over and looked at like an end table and flipped it upside down and took it apart. So that gave me a little, uh, beginner baby insight. Um, and I, I you know, I broke some things down there and, and figured out how they were constructing it, you know, and I did a lot of, uh, looking at wood. I think it was wood magazine. Wood. I had a uh, wood magazines that I, that I started going through from home Depot. Um, and then I started playing back old things from my grandfather that taught me, um, he taught me to be an artist. So, uh, I should say that my whole life I've been able to sketch, draw, paint, almost anything that you see. I can just, I can do that. I can draw it or paint it. But my grandfather taught me that, um, for as long as I can remember from, from birth, he was teaching me to be an artist. He was an artist. Um, so he taught me how to that. And then he taught me the value of old wood, which is where the value of reclaimed wood and old wood came into play. But, you know, he taught me how to do like birdhouses and, uh, you know, repairs on the fence in the yard, you know, stuff like that. But uh, I pretty much credit him to everything that I've done. He's, he's passed away now and he never got to see any of this, but, uh, I, I give him the credit for giving me this, this angle, but, but yeah, man, I, I think a majority of the time I spent in the shop building, um, and my prior jobs brought me the business knowledge on how to get sales and, and how to go about that. Yeah. I love that the, um, <clears throat> that you hit on that. Cause I was going to ask you that of, of your designs, because, uh, I mean, your designs are, are so unique and there's, you know, there's clearly, um, some great visual flow. And so like when you're, when, when you started off and when you were building that up, did, you know, how, how similar to the stuff that you're making now, how similar did it look back then? Like where you are, you know, you said from the beginning, you wanted to, to kind of go big and, and do contours and shapes. Um, I mean, did you just come straight out of the gate uh, with that same similar type look, except maybe, you know, obviously probably not as refined because you were still refining your building skills, but like, um, you know, how, how did, did you come out of that? And then how hard was that? Because like, right, it's, it's hard enough to build something that's like shaker, right? Just like straight angles. And then like, you know, if you're trying to learn woodworking and being like, dude, I want to have all these curves and all these flow, like that adds a whole other element to construction, uh, let alone design. So, so what did that look like as you were, 
as you were easing into it and, uh, you know, going through that learning process? Oof, it was brutal. It was brutal, bro. I mean, yeah, I jumped right in. Um, I'm kind of a ride or die guy, all in type of guy. So I had my vision of the big and chunky and curves. So I jumped right into it. Um, but I, I quickly realized, um, besides not knowing how to do everything and not to be honest, not even knowing how to work all the tools and, and machinery. So, um, luckily I didn't get too hurt in those first couple of, couple of years, but, um, I, um, I, I jumped right into the big chunky and the curves, but I didn't have the machinery or the tools to do it. Um, but the art artist side of me, uh, started trying to figure out how can I make this hundred dollar little six inch bandsaw or jigsaw desktop, um, to build this huge, massive table base. How am I going to do that with this thing? And, um, I broke it down, man, and started doing it. Um, you know, I think it was a six or seven inch little bandsaw. Uh, maybe it was a nine inch. I'm not sure, but you know, the throat is like three inches max right. or something. <laughs> and um, so I broke it down in my mind to where I was just going to do two dimensional three inch pieces and go all the way around a square block until I got a contoured shape of a huge base. Um, and it took me forever. Who knows how long, man? But it took a long time. But I achieved the exact same look that I do today um, without the quality. And, and it took me, uh, you know, 200 times longer. Um, but yeah, man, I jumped, (laughs) I jumped right in. I, you know, I've just never been, uh, like I can't see the simple side of things. Like I can see the complex, hard things, but you put something real basic and easy in front of me and suddenly I'm dumbfounded. I I just can't figure it out, but give me the hard stuff. And it, it comes to me. It's really odd. Um, it's, it's really strange. <laughs> that's, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine like the, the pieces and parts almost like building it up like a puzzle, yeah. uh, with the, the smallest that you can get. So, uh, as, as <laughs> I did, I'm just imagining like you just cutting all these pieces on this three inch throat, <laughs> you know, <laughs> benchtop nine inch bandsaw, um, <laughs> That, that would be a great YouTube video, by the way. That would absolutely crush. You're like <laughs> making this table with this bandsaw. Uh, so, you know, as as you went through that process, uh, you said, you know, you kind of alluded to the first couple of years. Uh, you know, wh- wh- where was that tipping point where, uh, so obviously going into it, you had the drive, you had the vision, you had the product, uh, you know, your, your skill set and your business acumen were catching up. What was the tipping point? When was it like, where you started making money, you figured out your pricing. Uh, did that coincide at the same time with your craftsmanship? Like, you know, walk us through that kind of next level where you actually became uh, a profitable business and started getting into, you know, more of the meat of what you're doing now. I would probably say two and a half years in, um, I started finally making money, I, I believe. Um, it, it could be two years, but I, I, I want to say it was two and a half. Um, and a lot of that, um, I, I lost a lot of money through that. It was because of, you know, say a tabletop warping out or a console top warping out. And I, you know, I, I wanted to honor, you know, the product that I was selling. So I would literally rebuild the piece for the client. And, you know, even today in the present moment, there's no profit in doing something twice. You know, if you have to redo the entire thing, you pretty much lost your profit. It's pretty much a free piece now. Um, so that's what I was battling the first couple of years, battling, learning wood movement. Um, that was, that was a huge thing. Um, and of course, uh, like most people, when you start out, you almost pocket hole, almost everything. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. and that created a lot of warpage for me. Um, 
I, I, I honestly thought I was going to quit. I, I mean, seriously, I, I was going nuts. I was like, uh, you know, I would make some money on a project and then I'd brag about it to my wife at dinner. I'm like, can you believe it? I did it. I made some money. I mean, this is so awesome. Two weeks later, I'd get a phone call. Donnie, my dining table looks like a skateboard ramp. What? Wait, what? What are, you, what are you talking about? And then they would send me a picture and this thing would be so cupped. I was like, oh gosh, well, I don't know what I did. I mean, I, I built it like I built all the pieces, you know? So there was about two and a half years in, man, of, of doing a lot of rebuilding, a lot of learning the wood movements and uh, figuring out the right pricing formula that I wanted to use. Um, so yeah, dude, I think it took about two and a half years for me before I started uh, honestly turning a profit consistently and something that I could count on. Yeah, it's amazing. And I think we've hit this before. It's amazing how consistent that is on like startup businesses and thing that it's it's right around that three year mark, it seems and you know, might be a little sooner, but that two to three year mark is when you really hit your stride as, as a business and as a startup. And it's, you know, you're hitting right on it because there's just so much stuff you don't know and, and trying to figure out. And even though you have all this background that you're still struggling through those pieces of the learning curve of wherever you're at. So uh, it's, it's great to hear that that's (laughs) about the same with you. So like when you hit that, when you hit that stride, um, were you still, you know, how did that look as far as like the actual setup, you know, in your shop, like, you know, were you upgrading machinery along the way? Did you, were you still in your, your shop uh, of your garage? You know, what, what did that part of the process look like for you? Um, again, that was, um, <clears throat> you know, my story has been pretty tough, man. It's um, contrary to what everybody thinks and what the messages and emails I receive. It's actually been a tough journey for me. So, you know, as I'm, I'm building and learning that stuff in that first couple, two and a half years, um, you know, we were, we were in a, we were leasing a house in an HOA neighborhood, um, or, you know, it had an HOA and we actually, uh, got evicted from that house because I was working in out of the garage. Um, now I was being very mindful of my neighbors and stuff. So I didn't start before, um, I believe it was like nine 30 in the morning. Um, and I stopped, uh, around four o'clock every day, which is not enough working time, uh, if you're going to be a full-time maker. Uh, and, and I was just trying to be mindful so I wouldn't drive anybody nuts with noise. And I made sure my garage was closed, but long story short, we got, uh, served, um, I think it was a three day eviction notice. So we, we were on the street within three days. Now you had to also remember, um, I wasn't really making any money. I'd gotten let go from my my stable, consistent job and pay. Uh, my wife was working, but so we were pretty much about to be homeless. Um, we literally had no money, uh, in the bank. I mean, we had already exhausted every bit of our checking savings. Anything we had was shot and, and I was using it, uh, on this furniture business and just trying to do everything I could, but I was extremely motivated and I felt very passionate about it, man. And, um, so we, we went through, um, man, we, you know, we were evicted. We were, we were nearly homeless. And the only reason, uh, only way we were able to save that, um, was my mother actually ended up at the last second coming up with a way to loan us money for first month rent and deposit, uh, for another place. But Mm. that literally came at the last, last second. Um, and it was very stressful with a three day eviction notice. You got to be out in 72 hours. You're like, wait, what? Um, Um, and that's a, I don't know if that's a Florida thing or what. Um, cause I, I was questioning it all. I was like, wait a minute, doesn't everybody get 30 days at least? Or, 
or a slap on the wrist type of warning. I, I mean, I don't get this, you know, I mean, I'll stop doing the woodworking. Let's just stop it. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, it wasn't like that. They, you know, the HOA took it serious. And it turns out HOAs, um, they have a whole lot of power. Uh, they can do a lot of stuff. But anyway, so, you know, we went through that and uh, we got into an, a, an apartment right after that. And, you know, and I'm still crying and, and wanting to quit. But my wife, you know, God bless her, she just wouldn't let me quit. She saw that I had a talent that she couldn't believe and, um, I today seriously wouldn't be doing this business if it wasn't for her. I, I wanted to quit every single day because I didn't want to see my family in such hardship. Um, we had moved from a house or evicted from a house to an apartment. And, um, and this apartment wasn't something to brag about, man. The floor was crooked. I mean, literally if you put a ball on one edge of the, of the apartment, it would roll down in two seconds that fast. Um, <laughs> It was really, it was bad. And it was almost, and you got to remember now I'm, I'm 43 years old. So, um, and this is just, we're talking, you know, close to five years ago or whatever, four and a half, five years ago. So I'm, I'm an older uh, guy, you know, with kids and a wife, you know, this is really hard. There was a lot of pride swallowing, um, type stuff to go through there. And then, um, shortly after that, you know, we went through, uh, some cars getting repossessed. So we, we had a, a real hard time, food deprived. We were sending the kids to school with rice and crackers. And um, it was just a tough time, dude. It was a really tough time those first first two and a half, three years. It was extremely tough. I can't believe we made it out um, to this day. It's just, I'm really shocked to even be sitting here talking to you guys right now. It's crazy. I mean, I never thought it was going to happen. And um, so those first years, those those were some tough years, man, of food de- deprivation and and it sounds silly even thinking back on it, but it was tough, bro. Um, and all I knew the entire time was, uh, you know, I just, I prayed a lot and I, I just, I leaned on my wife. Um, and, uh, you know, I just stuck with it, man, because of her, you know, every day, um, she would still be at work. And, uh, I actually, I remember one time she was at work, um, and you know, my car had, had got repossessed, but she started driving my car to work because, you know, I'm just working down the street and, um, you know, and I didn't have the heart to tell her, Oh my gosh, I just coasted into the, to the parking lot at the apartment on no gas. I don't even have gas to go pick her up after work. You know, I was in panic mode, man. I'm like, how am I going to tell my wife? I don't have gas to go pick her up from work. I don't know what to do. Um, man, I literally, we had to, I had, I called her up and told her, you know, obviously I'm out of gas. I'm going to have to walk and, and come meet you at work and then walk you back home. Cause I can't have you walking home in dark, uh, you know, after dark. Um, so dude, we went, we went through a lot of hard times. I mean, I'm not really given a whole lot of detail obviously, but I mean, I I'm an open book, but it, I mean, it was tough times, bro. And, uh, we made it out fortunately, <laughs> um, with a lot of help from family and, um, me changing things up business wise to make more money, build things faster type of thing. Um, but yeah, man, tough, tough journey, dude. Tough. Yeah. I think the, uh, like understanding from what social media can create and what this, like, uh, you know, you know, the perception that we as individuals can give to the world doesn't really reflect on those tough times as, as much as, uh, it may elude to and in, especially in a journey, you know, everyone sees the moment and embraces that. And I think that's incredible to see, um, yourself persevere through, through such struggle. And, and, you know, I've talked to individuals on, 
um, a one-on-one basis a lot about getting into this. And and I try and make it as crystal clear as possible that like, it's going to suck. <laughs> like you're going to have to eat it. There's nothing. If you like, I, I look at every day and I'm like, if you expect today to be easy, you have the completely wrong mindset. Right. And like, I look at every day as like, you know, em- embrace the uncomfortable and like what's going to be difficult. And like, if it's difficult, that that's a good thing. Right. And um, you know, seeing the way that your business has evolved and grown, I think it's admirable to hear even just a slight bit of of the struggle and and from your story to get to where you are now. Because um, from an outside perspective, I think it's reflective in your work ethic and your ambition and your um, how how you strive to do things that are almost incomprehensibly physically large. But as well as noticing that you balance so much at once, you know, and I know me personally, I was I've I've told the story living in my buddy's basement and like I had to sell my truck and there was a bunch of stuff. But like coming to uh, where I'm at now, you know, if something's hard and I'm in that moment, my brain always goes back to like, well, well, it could be worse. You know, (laughs) and my wasn't even anywhere close to uh, struggling as as hard as, as what you just alluded to. Um, so, so one of these, you know, it's very admirable and, and I love seeing that this success come through that kind of journey, but two, you know, tell us a little bit on how the mindset that you developed during those hard times has helped your business become better. Because I think that that is almost an, a tangible value add to any type of business that a lot of people don't see, right? That if you don't embrace the, the hard times, if you don't embrace the suck, that you can lose a lot of great learning experience in that. And you kind of touched on it gently on how it's helped your uh, pricing model get better. But like, you know, continue on that a little bit on how it's helped grow the business coming out of the, you know, the bottom and, and growing up. Because um, I think that that's something that is very difficult for a lot of people to uh, see when things are hard. You know, seeing that if you can break through, you know, the, the, the what is it, the, Oh, the, the, plateau the sun. No, no, the, the light on the other end of the tunnel or one of those metaphors, you know, there <laughs> it, it, it's real though. Like if you can, right. if you could push through or my coach in college used to say, jump out of the jar, you know, you can see that benefit on the other side, you know, touch on that a little bit and how that's helped your business get better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, I, I, when I went, when I got into doing the woodworking, I figured out the kind of voice, so to speak, that I wanted big, chunky and curvy. Right. So I figured that out. Um, but I didn't figure out, that's like my um, nickname. (laughs) True story. (laughs) But I, but I didn't figure out how to make money at it. So I'm sitting here, I'm making the big and I'm making the chunky. Um, and it's appealing to a lot of people, but it wasn't appealing to the right kind of people, meaning the people that are going to pay the right price for the art that you're, that you're making. Right. So, um, you, you're, we're in a day and age where you're competing with Ikea or say rooms to go where you can just go buy a whole, whole set, a whole living room or dining room for $1,200, you know? So we're, you're competing with the, the masses of the people that are only, they're coming into it with a budget or, you know, I, I'm not wanting to buy art. I'm wanting to buy a dining table, Donnie. It's, it's not art, you know? So that's, you know, I was getting a lot of that. So I, I had to think, how am I going to reach the type of people that I want to reach, um, to sell the kind of price points I want to sell and deliver the kind of art that I want to deliver. Um, so I, you know, before I did that, I was just making the products and and then trying to sell them, you know, and, um, you know, I'd put X amount of price on it and, you know, you would get a lot of, um, not the garage sale mentality, but they, 
they would look at it like, hey, this guy is just building something out of a garage. You know, he can't sell uh, a dining table for more than four or 500 bucks. Um, and coincidentally, I was selling dining tables for about three or four, $300 to $400, you know, when I started. Um, so what, one, for, one of the first things I did was I was like, well, let me, let me Google um, the demographics and the statistics and, and stuff like that of my town that I live in. Because we live in a very high-end uh, resort town, which is almost unaffordable for you know, regular people to live. Most of the people that live here are, are huge entrepreneurs or this is their, their 10th home that, that's here, you know, not a family like myself. Um, I mean, there are, but you know, they're not many, but so I started Googling the demographics and figuring out what's the median household income, you know, so that I was going to let that dictate the types of builds from that moment forward. So I'll, I would know where I was at. So, um, my area was, it was really good. Um, I, I think it was like, um, 70 something thousand, you know, you know, to put that in perspective, if you get a median household income of say 30,000 or to 40,000 for the median household income, um, you better plan on just building picnic tables um, and uh, very simple, simple things for low cost if you want to be able to keep things moving. Um, so we were in like a $70,000 median household income price point. And I was like, okay. So I started crunching some numbers that I could probably get some dining tables up to, you know, around $2,000 a dining table, say maybe 3000 with that price point. Um, and that started working really well. So that I, I immediately, I was like, okay, so I can start trying to get to these clients and I'll, and I'll tell you how I did that in a minute. But <clears throat> so I did those demographics, figured out that median household income and, and started selling and moving some products really, you know, pretty efficiently. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I, I kind of want to go more because what I'm delivering in my mind is really, really more art than it is furniture. Um, and you guys know that. I mean, what you're doing, it's um, everything that all of us are doing is really more art than it is furniture. I mean, we're really taking it over the top. And um, so I was like, well, you know, I don't have to sell just to my city. Let me do the surrounding areas. Um, so I did some surrounding areas that I know um, that are very, very high end. And those demographics and uh, statistics were in the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands for the household medium income. So I was like, okay. So all my hashtags, everything's going to be directed toward those cities, um, um, just so for the social media purposes. Um, <clears throat> and that quickly changed the game. That quickly changed my price points from say, um, I don't know, two, two to three thousand dollars for like a six foot dining table to now pushing like ten thousand uh, dollars for a dining table. So that that immediately changed it. So I think. First off, knowing the area that you live in, what they can afford by doing the demographics and statistics is very key and vital to a success uh, of any business, I think, really. I mean, even if you were wanting to open up a high-end restaurant, but if the median household income is 30000 I mean, you're going to be selling peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. You, I mean... <laughs> You could do a nice KFC or, you know, or exactly. you could have a, some amazing <clears throat> Subway restaurants, something a quick serve eat, you know. That's right. Type stuff, because that's... That's the stuff that I was eating when I was in college. <laughs> I was like, where's the where's the McDonald's? Yep. Where's the KFC? Uh, dude, I, I love that, Donnie. I absolutely love uh, the mindset to go in and look at the demographics uh, because, again, I, I think that's something we hear of like, well, I'm kind of in the country or I'm kind of, you know, in, in there. But it's that's more of a um, 
of a kind of colloquial thing, if you will, of like, I'm, I'm in the country. Well, okay, well, what does that mean? And I love being able to uh, grab the analytics. So, um, and I assume that you can probably even just Google it and just Google, you know, Nashville yeah. household income, right? So you don't, but there are sites, there are government sites out there that will actually even tell you that um, as well. But uh, th- having that and then having the wherewithal to know, because like I know, and because I know it's on your shirt, so I know it's, it's public knowledge, right? You're in Destin, right? Destin, Florida? Yes. So yes, if, Destin, if you Florida. went, and we vacationed down there a lot. So if you went west, I assume like Fort Walton Beach, or like, you know, Fort Walton, like you can look at Fort Walton and that's very old school. And I bet yes. the household medium is is much less than it is in Destin, right? So instead of, yes, that's so correct. right, so let's say if you lived in Fort Walton and let's just throw a number out there, if it was like 40,000, but Destin is, you know, 10, 15 miles east and then even even larger cities, maybe even a bit further than that of of going in like that is brilliant. I love that idea of looking at your area and then, you know, the whole idea about like you said, you're selling you're, you started out selling dining tables at three and four hundred bucks pocket hold together. And so many people and that's we hear so many people that say, I can't compete with these people because look at what they're charging. And we'll have we even recently had a, a, a post on the made for profit Facebook group about that. Like, look what these people are charging. Uh, and like the whole point is like, well, yeah, because those are the people like Donnie four years ago. Those are the people like, you know, John five years ago. Those are people that were like, they're just getting, they have no idea. They don't know their business sense. And, mm-hmm. and people are like, how, how are they doing this? It's because they don't know any better. And I love that you uh, separated yourself and went for where the money is made, which is you make the money where the money is. You, you fish where the fish are. That's right. Um, that's a, that's such a great lesson and learning lesson that if you're, if you're not sitting, if you're not, if you don't live at the pond where all the fish are, well, guess what? You can go, go down the road and there's bigger ponds with bigger fish and more money. So um, that, that's a great lesson. <laughs> that's right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and to go along with that, I mean, I, I wanted to touch on something briefly because um, there's like, you, you can't just go and charge higher prices to different people, right? Like you do have to increase the quality of work. You yes. do have to try and differentiate yourself from, because just because you're going to a different market doesn't mean your product's adding value to that market. Um, initially, you do have to essentially reevaluate your own business, right? Go into it, say, you know, what could I now bring to this marketplace that has a higher um, mean income demographic? Like what can what what are they looking for that I'm capable of doing? You can't go and take, you know, pocket hold two by four uh, furniture and walk into million dollar mansions and then all of a sudden, just because the house is nicer, say, hey, you're going to pay me five thousand dollars for the same table I was selling <laughs> for five hundred. Right. So like that's right. Touch a little bit on how you improved not only your pricing and your business model, but the quality of what you were making as you continue to progress into a new marketplace, um, whether that yeah. be materials, you know, build quality uh, techniques, that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> for me, I'm I'm old school. OK, and um one of the things that, uh, you know, really came to me was, um, you know, when you're, <clears throat> when you're in a, say you say you move to a new neighborhood, right? Uh, it's a brand new subdivision, brand new home. Um, it's in my experience, you get blasted with door to door salesmen. You know, you get a Kirby vacuum cleaner guy. Oh, bro, that's just Florida. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, but you, I got blasted with door to door salesmen. So, and I'm old school and I'm like, well, guys, this is, you know, what century are we in? And you're still coming to the door. This is crazy. But then it dawned on me, you know, hey, this is what still works. 
nose to the ground, putting in the hours, putting in the hard work, this, this works. So how am I going to apply, say, door-to-door sales to my business? So what I started thinking was, well, I'm not literally going to go door-to-door to residential homes, um, but I'm going to start going to all the interior designers, their stores in those high-end areas that I wanted to start selling my product to for the big dollars. So I wanted to get to know all these interior designers. Um, I wanted to find out the pulse of the community. What kind of furniture did they want? Uh, what were the the finished looks? Uh, you know, I wanted to get ideas for that. And I knew the best place for me in my area was to go to who's actually supplying all the furniture to my area, which are interior designers. Um, now, I always make a joke when you're here in Destin or 30A or any of these areas, um, you can spit in any direction and hit a beach store, you know, or you can spit in a different direction and hit an interior design store. Those things are very, very prevalent in this area. So, and I was like, this is crazy because you, you have a huge 10,000 square foot interior design store, um, like every couple of miles, but they're all staying in business. Like, how are they pulling this off? So I literally, um, pulled together some information and I started going door to door to all the interior design stores in the towns and cities that had the median household incomes that I wanted to hit. Um, so I was introducing myself to these interior designers, um, you know, and, and at first, you know, like anything, you know, the doors are all closed to you, you know, they're, um, I was getting a lot of snobby snooty type of stuff because these stores are, they're brilliant. They're, they're, they're hitting you on all your senses. I mean, all these candles, it smells amazing. The furniture looks amazing. The chandeliers look amazing. Um, and that actually brought up other selling points for me too, that I'll, uh, that I'll mention here in a moment. But so I went door to door with all those in designers and, and previewed their store, so to speak, looked at all the, the furniture. And I, you know, for me, the furniture looked great, but to, I, I mean, it was really janky. Like the drawers wouldn't open and close. Now it looked gorgeous. And when you touched it, it felt amazing. Uh, but when you tried to use the function of it, cabinet doors, drawers, even dining tables would kind of shimmy back and forth. And I'm just like, wow, this is crazy. So where are you guys buying your products from? You know, and so 99% of them was like India, Malaysia, you know, China. So they're buying in wholesale um, and then they mark up the wholesale prices times 2.5 to 3.0. They, they multiply it and they unload it in those stores all day long. Um, and I'm talking some really high price points, guys, really high. And uh, I was like, okay, so I'm right with this area being able to afford those price points. Now I just got to get my finishes down. You know, So at this point, I'm building some really dope stuff in my opinion. But my finished game, I mean, it was like open up a can of stain and wipe it on there. And, uh, so I, I mean, you guys could probably agree with me. I mean, you could probably build the most amazing piece in the world, but if your finish on that piece stinks, then the piece stinks. Um, so I knew right out the gate from looking at all those interior design stores that the finish work was amazing. Every single piece everywhere. It was just amazing. The build, most of them sucked, but the finish work, it looked like a diamond. So I was just like, okay. I got to really focus on my finish game and I focused on it insanely hard. I don't even know how hard it was. It just crazy amounts of hours to this day. I, I don't think I open up a single can and use that on anything, paint, stain, you name it. Everything's mixed and blended. Um, but that gave me the leg up. I did the research with the design stores to figure out the looks, 
Um, and I was really aiming to start getting interior designers on board with ordering furniture from me. Um, cause I knew that would somehow eventually get my brand locally known and get my name out there amongst, um, these higher end clients, I guess, so to speak. Um, and that's exactly what happened. So eventually I broke that barrier. Um, I started doing, um, work for interior designers. Um, and then once you do work for one, uh, man, it, it's really like dominoes. If they're, if they're very affluent in the community, it, all of a sudden your name gets out. I started having designers, uh, calling me and texting me left and right. Uh, and I started getting booked out. Um, but what really changed the game was, and it, it, it's not, it wasn't done in a bad way, but by me doing work for interior designers, more often than not, they have their client that's going to buy the piece that they're commissioning me for. Um, but the client wants to be involved. So they want to come to my shop or they want to pick a finish board and, you know, stuff like that. So uh, fortunately, um, it started putting me in direct contact with the clients. Now, I didn't bypass the designers by no mean. I'm a very loyal type of guy. Um, but when those clients, those pieces were built and they were done, eventually months or a year down the road, those clients would come back to me and want to just order something directly from the source. They didn't even want to go through the middleman with the design stores. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And you guys, that was hundreds and hundreds of pieces. That literally... Uh, changed the game for me because now I, I went from a nobody in town to picking out the higher end cities, getting those higher end designers to order from me uh, by going door to door and selling myself. And of course, like anybody, when you sell yourself, you got to sell yourself really low, unfortunately, just to get in the door. Um, and I did. And it got me in the door. And then eventually, uh, I, I wouldn't, I can't put a percentage on it, but the majority of all the clients don't go through the designers. Now they just come straight to me, straight to the source, um, which has been, a, which has been a blessing, but, you know, also going to those design stores taught me something, you know, for me, I, cause I'm a numbers guy and a research guy. So I'm like, they're hitting you on all senses. It looks like eye candy in here. It smells wonderful. So <clears throat> anytime a client, uh, would want to come to my shop, uh, an hour before they come, I milled up as much cedar or something that smelled amazing. <laughs> That's what <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking. <laughs> I, I literally milled up as much cedar or uh, juniper that has just sweet aromas that I, that I could find. Because, you know, I'm in a workshop. I'm not going to go light a bunch of vanilla candles or, you know, something. Right, um, right, right. They're like, Donnie, it smells, it smells wonderfully of sweat in here and, uh, and varnish. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. That's right. Um, you know, so I, I was like, let me, let me hit them on all their senses. I'm gonna hit them with the smells. Cause I want to sell these high end clients when they come to my stinking dirty little garage, you know? So I was like, so I had the smell from all the cedar milled up, even though I wasn't working with anything cedar wise, I just milled it up for the smell. Um, and then I was like, well, you know, I have all these templates that I make for everything. I need to hang them on the wall. One, it's easily accessible for me. And two, I mean, it's like, uh, it's like candy for these people. You know, I think HGTV and Chip and Joanna, they've kind of enlightened the world to this DIY industry and people want to get involved. Um, but you can't just have a regular garage and white walls and then expect a, cl- a client to come in and order some really high-end dollar piece. You got you to gotta sell them on all senses. So I was hitting them on the smells. I was hitting them on, um, you know, a couple of builds that I would have and I'd make sure they stayed in the shop until after that appointment, then do the delivery so they could see the quality and touch it. 
Um, you know, and I was hanging all the templates. So I, I really wanted to hit all the senses with all my customers. I was selling them kind of like in an indirect way. Um, and you know, and that's pretty much, you know, like in a nutshell, how I started branding myself here, uh, locally. Um, and it worked, It, it really, really worked, you know, and, you know, I did take it a step further. I was, uh, my wife, um, when I first started, she worked for Aldo shoes, a shoe store. Um, and as I'm hanging out in the store with her, I'm listening to her and the other sales girls and man, they're really trying to sell the shoe prod, shoe care, like leather care and cleaning your shoes way more than they are trying to sell the shoes themselves. I'm like, wow, there's something to this. I, I got to ask her, I got to ask Jennifer what this all about. And she was like, yeah, because you know, the owners and managers and it's passed down through the knowledge of the business that the profit margins are larger in the, in the shoe care and the necklaces and the jewelry than it is the actual shoes. And I was like, that's so interesting. I was like, that's very interesting. So I'm going to take this a step further. I'm going to use this same example. I'm going to start making cutting boards, coasters, small things that, um, you know, they might be only selling for 20 bucks to say 60 bucks, but the profit margins were like 70%, some of them 80%, whereas my furniture was at 50% profit margins. Uh, so I'm like, okay, so when that client comes for an interview, I'm not going to, I'm going to hit them with the smells. I'm going to hit them with the visual stuff with the templates and furniture. But while they're here, I'm going to be pushing these coasters and cutting boards where I'm going to get a larger return for my, my money. Um, I started doing that. And, you know, just like with the, you know, any like fast food chain, they're pushing up, you know, the supersize, the, the milkshake or, or the milkshakes even, you know, more so than the hamburgers and, and, and stuff like that. Cause that's where the profit margins are. So, um, I took those examples. I applied those to my business in any way that I could. Um, and my margins drastically changed the profit changed, um, it, dramatically. You just have to push those smaller items, uh, coupled with the high end furniture, you know? So, you, you know, that, that was how I was doing it and it is still how I do it. Dude, I, I love that. And I love how that, you, <laughs> how you integrate the whole, experience of purchasing. I mean, you obviously have an eye for that and for business and, and like that. I mean, that's like next level stuff, man. Like thinking about the thinking about, you know, what somebody's going to smell when they come into your shop. Like, I, I don't think about that. I'm just hoping, you know, I didn't, I didn't have something bad to eat the night before. <laughs> so <I'm> like, <laughs> my breast stinks or something. <laughs> and so like having, having that and, and thinking about your, the way that you present your brand, how, because we haven't really hit on this, how has that changed in your social game. So like Instagram, you know, we haven't even touched on that. Uh, you know, we're 50 minutes deep, man. We're just now getting into social media, uh, like social media. Let's, let's, let's hit on that because like <laughs> how did so you're the, the way you're talking and the way you're describing is, is a very concerted effort to get known locally. Um, and then, well, you know, we all kind of know like social media is not, uh, social media is a global thing. You know, it's not, it's definitely not, you know, going yeah. on Instagram might not be the greatest place to go find your neighbor, right? You, you go to your neighbor's house, like you go to where the people are because it's right there. How, but you, you mentioned it a bit earlier about doing the hashtagging for, uh, you know, putting that in the areas that you wanted to do, you know, talk, talk to us about, um, how the Instagram game has helped and has that become a source where you say, you know, you started out, you got the interior designers to really start getting that business. Um, now you're kind of converting into that repeat business from the customer's, where does the social media game play in? How much business do you get out of that? Um, what has that done to help 
grow your business and to kind of become that walking portfolio or that digital portfolio? Um, <clears throat> it's really helped out a lot, man. It's um, it kind of grew exponentially with Instagram uh, and sales. Um, you know, I I didn't want to just now I, I do occasionally. It's it's once every blue moon. It's very rare that I'll actually put something for sale on Instagram. Um, because I knew, uh, with a high end product, you know, if you went to say an art gallery and you wanted to buy a piece of art that's on the wall, they don't have a price tag next to the art. You literally have to talk to somebody to figure out where the starting price point is with this piece. You know, so I, I apply everything to my business and I didn't want to put a price tag on Instagram. Plus anything you put out there is out there for life, you know, and I don't want somebody screenshotting where I quoted, X amount of dollars on something. And then in a few years, I'm no longer at that price point. I don't want to have to get in caught, caught up and having to honor that. So uh, I hardly ever list any price points. If I do, it's on something very small, say like a, uh, like say a cutting board, for example, you know, or if I come up with something unique that I think is different, um, I'll put a price point on it. But, um, so what I'm getting at is I've, I've reached a lot of people and I will hashtag the cities that I've done the demographics in. You know, there's some places in Virginia that are outrageously wealthy and I'll hashtag those areas. I'll, um, but I do it strategically. It's not on every, every post. Um, it's just on whatever product I think would hit that market. Um, it might be a really cool dining table. Now we know I build big and rustic and chunky. Um, but if I feel like that community that I've done the research on is going to, this big reclaim table is going to appeal to them. I'm going to hashtag that area. Um, and it's worked. I've had, uh, gosh, man, I, I don't know how many emails and, and DMS that I've gotten from all over the U S um, and recently London, um, wanting to purchase, uh, items for their entire house, but they never know a price point. Cause like I said, I don't, I purposely don't do that, uh, for many reasons. Um, but, you know, they reach out and we start discussing price points and stuff like that. And believe it or not, more often than not, uh, they're like, wow, I, I thought the price point was going to be double, triple that. I'm like, oh, wow. Bummer, man. I was, <laughs> man, that's, that sucks. I wish I wouldn't have said it. No, that's but, just um, for the first piece. The next pieces are, yeah, the first one's half price. The second that, one is <laughs> that's regular right. price. Um, so, so yeah, man, it, it, Instagram, um, and Facebook, the social media world, it's changed my sales exponentially, um, to the point where I can't, uh, I pretty much can't keep up with all that. Now I'm not boasting or bragging because I'm a one man show and I've had a hard time in my area trying to expand my business, you know, so I'm down to time. That's my problem for my business. Um, if I could get out every order that I took in a, in 30 days in that same month, man, then I, w- I would be living like a fat cat. But uh, that's not the case. Time isn't on my side. And so much is going into each piece that, uh, you know, I have to grow my business with manpower as well. Um, but I'm living in a town in an area that unfortunately, most people just want drinking money, party money, you know, fishing money. You know, um, I'm not really reach- reaching uh, craps people, uh, female or males that want to actually come in and, and put in the work. Um, so I've gone through, um, 14 people in this short period of, of time that I've been in business. Um, and I've been really easy to work with because I've applied any rule that I've ever had with a job that I didn't like. I applied it to myself that I wasn't going to do to them. So no micromanaging, just getting people started. Um, but it just doesn't work. You know, they take, 
Um, they're supposed to be on lunch for an hour. They, they come back an hour and 45 minutes later, you know, and then, um, if they're a smoker, you know, they can't smoke in the warehouse. So they're in and out of the shop for 10 minutes, every 15 minutes, you know, and as you know, I'm a numbers guy. So I calculate it up and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm losing 45 minutes from this joker on lunch. Then I'm losing an hour a day with the smoke breaks. So, you know, this, this isn't going to work for me. Not, not this person. Um, but you know, I'm not micromanaging them. I, I want people to be successful and to grow with me. Um, I just have been looking for people that actually just want to work. That's all they want to come in, have some fun. It's not all work every minute, but you know, have some fun. But so time's not on my side. Um, so I haven't been able to grow the business with the manpower, so to speak. Um, but social media has changed the game, um, on sales. Um, so, more often than not, I'm turning sales down at this point uh, on social media. You know why is it? You know because it's shipping, and that's you know that's a headache in itself. Uh, packaging the crate up and uh, insuring the piece, and I, I've learned pretty quickly shipping's expensive, um, and there's no cheap way around it unless you're a big box retailer. Um, there really isn't. Not if the pieces are getting big and heavy. Yeah. Uh, um, but you know, besides that. Um, you know, I, I'm having so much business here locally. That's just a 10 mile delivery um, that I'm not, I'm able at this point to push those sales away. Now, obviously I'm a, I'm a business guy do. So I, I, I weed out the right sales and the wrong ones and I take the right ones. Um, but social media, I think is a huge outlet. And I think if you um, have the right following coupled with the right engagement, I think you're going to hit the right clientele. Um, if you have like a ton of stinking t-shirt companies following you, you're, you're not going to get anybody wanting to buy anything. Um, not in my book, not in my opinion, but you know, I don't know everything. So, um, but you know, that, that's, that's how I've been doing it, man. Um, I, I've been using social media now, uh, for sales pretty much just on the holidays. Um, like a big one that's coming up for me that I'm working toward right now is Memorial day. Um, I personally wasn't in the military, but my wife served, uh, my dad, my grandfather, my uncle, et cetera, et cetera, my father-in-law, tons of military in my family. So military plays a big role in my heart and my family. Um, so Memorial Day and, and uh, 4th of July are two very patriotic days for me. So I definitely always run sales, uh, whether it's my um, uh, flag cutting boards or uh, my flag coasters or uh, my big hand carved wavy wooden flags. Those are, uh, pretty much what it's down to that I sell on social media, um, at this point on those key holidays. Um, otherwise I get way too backed up. Um, and, and I can't fulfill everything and I get into a place where I'm overcommitted. Um, and now I just have no time with the, with the wife and the kids. So there's a fine line and guys, I'm still working on figuring that out. Um, <laughs> Aren't we you all? Know, <laughs> it's so tough being a maker, man. Um, you know, and after WorkbenchCon, actually going into WorkbenchCon, uh, my goal this whole year is now to start pushing very hard on passive income in addition to what I'm what I'm doing now. Um, you know, because, you know, you get the flu right now, you get the flu and you're out a week or two weeks. Man, I mean, if you're a one-man show, that's it. Yeah, no, no income coming in for two weeks. Um and again, like I said, I've got a wife and three kids and, you know, we need to eat and I do not want to go back to where we came from. <laughs> so, um, I'm going to start working on passive income, mainly because of you two guys, you guys have inspired me dramatically on, in that world. Um, and I'm going to really start pushing that. 
Dude, it's it's an it's an untapped resource, and I think that's the biggest uh, that's the biggest benefit it gives you, right? Is just some of that, uh, you know, just headroom, if you will. It's like you're making money while you're not working, and you put in all the work in the front so you can get the money in the back end, and that way. If you do, if, or if you want to go on, heaven forbid, you want to go on vacation, <laughs> right? You want what? to take, take a, take a week off, not because you're sick and throwing up, but because you want to, you know, go somewhere else, you know, for you, it's probably like getting away from the beach or, you know, getting, or, or just getting out there and actually enjoying it, which I'm sure you probably don't see it much, but uh, yeah, absolutely, man. We, we love the, the idea of the passive income. I know we got a little bit of a chance to talk a bit there, Donnie. So I'm looking forward to to seeing what you come up with. You clearly have an amazing business mind and I love hearing, I think that's a great takeaway for the audience is, is how um, you've looked at other businesses seemingly, you know, some very related, some not related at all, you know, with the shoe business uh, and, and being able to take business applications and applying them to what you're doing is, is huge. And things that work in one area of business are one um, you know, style of product where you're selling goods and services can still work in the product realm as well. So that's absolutely awesome, man. It's it's been fantastic hearing hearing your story. Um, as we come to the end here, one of the things we like to talk to our our guests about and have our guests give our audiences some advice. So, uh, looking at where you've been and and kind of where your struggles have been, what would be a piece of advice you'd give to the audience? Uh, you know, for folks just starting out or or wanting to get into some things like what you're doing? Wow. That's a, that's a huge question. Um, let's see. Um, I'd probably go with, uh, you know, something simple. You need to, uh, find your voice and get your brand to stand out from everyone else's. Um, you need to get creative with that. Um, and that can mean a lot of different things. Um, yeah, you, as an example, um, a lot of people deliver their pieces they make, their furniture uh, to the client, the business or the or the home. Um, they just deliver it. Um, for me, I make sure I give a small token of my appreciation, say coasters or a cutting board as a gift for the purchase. Um, and you guys, you know, probably have already seen that I make those large paper flower arrangements um, and I wrap it up like a big bow. Um, because I want my brand to stand out in a very artistic way. Um, I don't want clients to think I just deliver furniture. I want them to feel like I'm delivering them a present, not something they purchased, but a present. Um, so I wrap that thing up with a huge mass of flour. Um, and I really try to get my brand to stand out. Um, and it's, it's worked. It's worked. Um, I actually had people reaching out wanting to order furniture just because they want a flower. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my, my, my take away nailed it. Yeah, there you go. So I, I would say, um, if you're starting out and you need one good piece of advice, you really need to do some research, uh, and dig deep in your creative, uh, aspect of yourself to find out what's going to set you apart from everyone. Um, everybody's doing awesome stuff, but we got to separate ourselves in some way. If you really want your brand to look different. Uh, and be taken seriously. Um, I want mine to be seen as art. Uh, so that's the direction I go. Everything's got to be artistic. Um, if it's a simple build, I don't even really take it these days. So um, that that was just, that's my perspective. That's my angle. So uh, make yourself stand out. Find your voice. Love it. Love it, man. That is that is fantastic. Yeah, awesome. and, and that's, those are the pieces that, those are the things that people remember. And just like you said, those are the people that when somebody goes to a dinner party, 
Uh, that's the story they're going to tell, right. right? They're they're going to talk about. They're not even talking about the table. They're talking about like, could, could you believe that he brought over the, and they've they've got it on the wall or whatever they've they've done with it. They've kept it uh, at a minimum, but they're telling a story about your brand and what you did. That's not even the table. And then they're <laughs> like, right. oh yeah, by the way, check out this amazing <laughs> table they made. Right? I mean, that is that's that's absolutely brilliant. Um, Great, great piece of advice, man. It's been fantastic. It was great getting to to meet you down at WorkbenchCon and uh, just being able to have this conversation and tease out uh, some of the ways that you've helped grow your business. And I know our audience is going to love this one and take away some some really juicy pieces of advice from you and and just pieces of strategy. Thank you, man. Appreciate it, guys. This is it's been awesome. I, I really enjoyed uh, meeting you guys at WorkbenchCon as well. And I wish we would have got more time to hang out and talk. <laughs> There's always next I year. Know. <laughs> That's right. And we will be there. So <laughs> we're going to do it. But man, we absolutely, absolutely loved it. And uh, we look forward to seeing what's to come with you. And, and we'll be looking for that passive income stuff's coming out too. So we'll, we'll be waiting. Hold you accountable. Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, thank you so much for coming on and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Dude, milling up cedar before customers come over is so brilliant. I love how Donnie takes things that win for other businesses and then just like applies them to his own. Like I would have never thought of that. Yeah, that was that was brilliant. I love hearing how gritty his journey was too. Um, you know, talking about all the sacrifices he's made to get to where he is today. I, I really thought that was uh, a great show, and it was awesome to hear uh, about all of his struggles and the triumphs he's gone through. I know, man. Perseverance. Perseverance is huge. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear more about Donnie, uh, you can head over to madeforprofit.com forward slash episode 94. We'll have links to his website, his Instagram, as well as his YouTube channel. Yes. And speaking of social networks, if you'd love to jump into the conversation with the rest of our tribe, make sure you're doing that on Facebook. Head on over to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash madeforprofit tribe. A lot of awesomeness going on over there. I'm, I'm, st- I might just start going there for all my resources. I mean, that our, oh, our tribe dude, is questions ugh. flying left and right, dude, answers. It is, it is like active. It is ridiculous. I love it. Love it. I do too. Tribe's so go check that out if you're not part of it already, and uh, you can join the tribe over there that is just sharing some uh, awesome knowledge between everybody over there. All right, man. Why don't we go hit the after show and see if we can share some knowledge with our patrons? Let's do it. 